Welcome back to another Box to Box episode. Thank you, everyone, firstly, for listening this far. I think Jesse and I are on like four episodes a week now. I'm kidding. <laughs> it feels like that. It's, it, it does feel like it, to be fair. But yeah, if you guys enjoyed, also give us feedback for what you guys thought of our football holidays episode because another one's coming up this week. So if there's anything particular that you guys want to hear from us differently, let us know. And this week, we're going to be focusing on the weekend. We focused on Champions League last episode, if you want to catch up with that. Jesse, you were at your team's match yesterday. Oh, come on. For anyone that didn't see, Arsenal, Arsenal tweet, well, they posted one of Jesse's tweets about Freedom Adam. So I think that makes them officially an Arsenal Listen, fan. Listen, it's not my fault that Arsenal fans' content is clearly so dry. They have to come to a Chelsea fan. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. I did think that was funny. I was like, damn, this feels like a long-running joke that the club has now got involved in making without realising it. I assume it's just because the tweet got quite a lot of likes. But hey, it's good to get my name out there, so... Um, yeah. Make a name for yourself, why not? I haven't noticeably got more followers yet, but you never know. I'm <laughs> sure they're I'm sure they're just around the corner. So you were at Chelsea first yesterday at King's Meadow and then you went to Arsenal at Meadow Park in the evening. Do you want to recap your day? Uh yeah, it was fun. So I watched Barcelona on the train to King's Meadow. Then I was at King's Meadow, where obviously all the Hannah Hampton drama was. Not that I saw Hannah Hampton, sadly. Otherwise I could have been more ahead of that story than I was. You had one job and it was to get gossip, Jesse. Well, I didn't. I'm sorry, this isn't <laughs> goss to goss. This is box to box. We're recording goss to goss another day. And then I did a very long car journey. But thank you to Rachel from Girls on the Ball who gave me a lift in her very, very nice car. So I was I travelled in luxury because it's much nicer than my car. And then I went to Arsenal and they gave me a very nice pack lunch, tuna sandwich. Oh, uh, I enjoyed that. And then I kind of enjoyed some of the Arsenal football. I was getting a bit wound up by Arsenal, but what's new? Nothing's what's new? new there. <laughs> uh, on that note, let's get right into the match. Arsenal 3, West Ham 1. Jordan Hobbs, Stina Baxinius, Freedom Adam on the score sheet for Arsenal. And Brian Stadier on the score sheet for West Ham. No surprise there, I think anyone can say. <laughs> It was, a, it was a hard one to kind of analyse because until obviously West Ham had the goal coming, uh, the high press seemed to be kind of throwing Arsenal up a little bit, which is a bit um, concerning as an Arsenal fan. Uh, it, it wasn't too great to see, obviously, everyone just not really cooperating and, and playing together. And then you saw the goal that was obviously just really, really, really bad. Missed pass from Lotta and then Steph Catley doesn't really see where Manu is and it just all goes to shit, basically. But... Arsenal didn't look great at all. Uh, Jordan Robs obviously came on. It wasn't a tactical switch from Jonas. It was just completely casual. And Jordan really got... That was a very satisfying smash that she did as well. It was just hit it as hard as you can. And it just really... It was really satisfying. Uh, but Jesse, you were there in person. Obviously got to see a lot more than the single camera WSL <laughs> at Meadow Park <laughs> could see. Do you want to give us a go of, of what you thought? Yeah, I mean, obviously I was there as a big Paul Koncheski fanboy and I thought West Ham were probably the best I'd seen them play this season, to be honest, uh, definitely for the first 45 minutes. They kind of switched things up. They were basically playing what was realistically a flat back five with Asai and Kaibag as kind of a two and then three midfielders. But yeah, it was kind of impressive, I think, how good West Ham were defensively, given that they, like Arsenal, are missing their two first-choice centre-backs and Lucy Parker and Hawass Sissoko. So they kind of had Kate Longhurst and Grace Fisk sort of deputising and Shimizu as well, kind of tucking in, but with Lisa Evans then as as basically a wing-back, but like very defensive version of that. And yeah, they just looked incredibly well organised. They pressed Arsenal really well. I thought they did very, very well on, on stopping the ball going into Leah Volti. And really all Arsenal were able to do in build-up was kind of have Kim Little run with the ball. But she didn't really go anywhere with it. So, And it was kind of funny because 
they just left Noel Moritz free. Like that's how what allowed them to because they just obviously were like, if the ball goes to her, like we're not it's fine. And Arsenal didn't really pass her either. So I think that kind of tells you how. Like I know Lara Vinroyd had a bit of illness, so I think that's kind of why she didn't start. But I think you saw how much that teams have picked up on that drop off and how much that's maybe affecting Arsenal. But yeah, I mean. I'm sorry, that goal being chalked off for West Ham, that original Dagny header, because that was just kind yeah. of slipped over. I mean, I mean, you could see you could see what the ref saw, because it was I think until you see the slow motion of it, you don't really tell that Kim Little actually tripped on Caitlin Ford. But from a first sight, you can kind of understand what the ref saw in the sense that it was a 50-50. Kim Little kind of tripped over something and you kind of just assumed it was the opposition player when it really wasn't. So that was but I think it's annoying because I'm like, yeah, obviously Dagny's always going to look like that because she's like literally twice the size of Kim Little. But also, what the fuck were Arsenal, like, what was that setup? Yeah, that was You really know weird. that Brynjars Dottir is like West Ham's main goal threat, that she's ridiculous in the air. And then you've kind of got like Kim Little trying to mark her or something. I don't it was know. weird because Caitlin Ford wasn't really on anyone. That's why she got in Kim Little's way. Yeah. It was kind of bizarre, but obviously we won't really have to worry about Kim Little giving away a penalty anytime soon <laughs> anything. Obviously went off with injury, didn't seem to be able to put a lot of weight on her ankle. Jessie, she was was she off on a stretcher after Yeah, she kind of came off because she couldn't put any weight on her foot and then she was standing at the side for quite a while. Like she was still standing on the side when Jordan scored. That's kind of how long she was there because they were getting a stretcher brought round and then she was kind of stretched off. So I don't really know. I do think it could have been like it was like look like the like her foot or her ankle so I feel like it could be one of those things that might not be long term but I mean it's just a small sprain it's fine she's gonna be fine (sighs) given Jordan's performance do you think Kim Little would be a big loss to this Arsenal side honestly no I if anything it's gonna make Jonas's life a lot easier and it hurts like obviously you want Kim to start every single match but realistically in the midfield is where we have most players like, yeah, if you don't have Kim Little, you have Jordan Arms. If you don't have Jordan, you have Mano Ibuchi. If you don't have Mana, you have Frida Manam. If you don't have Frida, you have Viv. You have players for days. And the energy that Jordan brought on really, really changed the game, I thought. And when you have that behind a player like Frida Manam, who's clearly, again, a lot of energy and is doing really, really well, I think that could actually be a big, big advantage for Arsenal, even if it is forced. And even if that means that we're going to be without Kim Little, because Kim Little is, I mean, she's, I don't think anybody can say that she's a bad player. Like nobody wants her on her team. Like she's probably the first one on the team sheet, like a lot of the times, but at the same time, it's what we've spoken about on the podcast for a long time, where you need that Arsenal just need that little bit of energy, a young player on the wing, blah, 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 blah. If you have Jordan Obstreet and Manum in the midfield, that's going to bring you an energy that's unmatched when you have Kim Little and Viv Miedemann in the midfield, for example. It's just a whole different game, and it's it. I would like that in the Champions League to have Jordan and, and Frida potentially play together, but at the same time, we haven't really seen that, so we have no idea how that's going to go. I never really think of Kim Little as being a slow player, but it was so noticeable how much more direct Jordan felt with the ball, and I definitely felt like Kim Little had some really great moments in terms of kind of ball retention in the midfield, but then it just didn't really go anywhere. It was almost like a highlights real game where if you'd kind of clipped up obviously she only was on the pitch for like 40 minutes but if you'd clipped up what she'd done it probably would have looked really good because it's lots of those little turns when the player's coming in for the tackle that like moves the ball around but that's but then you have Leo Valti behind that doing the exact same thing right and the other thing was the way West Ham were pressing was forcing Leah out onto the like left in the build-up but then because they were playing like Lisa Evans really flat it was just like so congested down there that there wasn't really much room for kind of McCabe and Volte to combine and create an overload. And I thought that was something that West Ham did really well. But Alex, we have to also talk about the sad ending of Arsenal's clean sheet record. And honestly, if you'd asked me, like, what is my dream way for Arsenal's sort of fake clean sheet record to end, I couldn't have written how good this moment was. It's so bad. I mean, the ball being given away from Lotta wasn't great in the first place. The pass 
from Steph. I don't know what was going on there. The way it slow-mo trickled in, you thought it wasn't going to matter. It was just going to hit the post. And then Dagny still gets to get the final touch. So she still gets the goal. It like it had everything for me. Jesse sent a picture <laughs> in the group chat of how happy they were after that. And it was very depressing. <laughs> that, that was such an awful goal. It was, I mean, we know that the clean sheet is like a fake one necessarily. But 13 games, one in a row for Arsenal in the WSL. That has to be said. It does have to be said. It's very impressive. Yeah, it's a very impressive run. It's just funny, isn't it? I feel like oh, I, it is genuinely like it shouldn't make me laugh. But it it's, kind of no, no, but it's it's funny because everyone like hangs on to that clean sheet and just asks about it every single press conference. It's like every <laughs> single time, there's like quotes on it. It's just like grand. Surely there's something else to focus on. But I think the thing is for Arsenal, and do you know what? Like they could win the WSL this season. Like I can see it happening. I'm clipping that up and putting that everywhere. <laughs> but I think if you if you get the trophies to go along with those records, they feel a lot more amazing. Because like I, I take the piss, but I love some of the records Chelsea had in terms of like the home record at King's Meadow that they obviously had for a really long time, winning streaks before that that we've had. It feels good but I think you just want also something real to show for it because it's you know amazing when you're like yeah exactly it's amazing when you're like wow we won 13 games in a row and I'm like yeah that's really really impressive but you want the thing at the end to say yeah and we did that so we could win x and I think and and that's why I take the piss because I feel like until you've got that it's like it doesn't really have that meaning but hey maybe like I don't know I feel like um it's so Arsenal are just such an interesting team because I feel like they so consistently have these games where they don't always play great against mid-table opposition, but I just never doubt they're going to come through them because... It's so weird. They always have that, like, little extra bit. And I think it's because, like, they can score goals in a lot of different ways. I think that's something that's, like, maybe underappreciated about, especially this Jonas Eidevall Arsenal team, because in the past we always think of Arsenal as, like, I think quite nice, like, open football compared to, say, Chelsea. But credit to Arsenal in this game, like, they were struggling from open play, but they made it work and they scored two good goals from set pieces. Which is basically the opposite problem of Joe Montemurro. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, right? And it's that now you somehow need to merge them both together. Basically. What did you think about Jonas Eidevall's... Have you seen his comments about squad depth i haven't actually so jones i said after the game that he was upset that the in the champions league you can have 23 players so 12 on your bench and in the wsl you can only have nine on your bench and this is a problem but i just thought it was like I felt so sorry for west ham and i mean look look i'm sure jones Idaval would want it for west ham as well but west ham had like five players on their bench two of them were 17 and like I thought they looked so well organized there's been a lot of comments about how like West Ham can't sustain like their good starts to games and I'm Mm. like yeah because it's hard because Arsenal were bringing on Viv or you've got like Jordan coming on you've got Lena Herter coming on I'm like yeah that's how you sustain it because you feel last half hour you have those players but like I don't understand what he's on about because he carries when he has all these subs he carries young players that he never plays anyway so it's as if he only has like five players on the bench because it's the same five players that play every time. Right, and Arsenal only have a 21-player squad. Yeah, it's just, I don't understand his comments sometimes. So I assume what he's saying is like, he can't keep the players, like enough players happy, but Chelsea and City, I think, would just beg to differ. But anyway, he grinds my gears, but he knows what he's doing. So like, I have it's to weird. respect him for that. I have to respect him. Um, Let's talk about Chelsea. Also a 3-1 win. Two goals from Lauren Rachel Jane. Daly for the golden boot of the season. Yeah, Rachel Daly finally got back on the score sheet, which was a hilarious goal where basically the ball came in from Sarah Mailing and Rachel Daly just like got across Millie Bright and like flicked it in. And I just knew something like that was going to happen. It just had a Millie Bright, Rachel Daly <laughs> moment. moment written all over it this game. But yeah, Lauren James really, really ran the show in this one. And honestly, Alex, I just feel like I watch her like every week at this point, and I'm just like every time I'm like, this girl's a joke. It is. It she's an actual. She's actually a joke. I every time I watch her play, I'm just like, you're you're joking. Like she is. She, she makes like no sense. No one else. She doesn't make any sense. A player move the way that she moves. I think that's what like because you know we watch a lot of very very talented players a lot of the time, 
But I think what's so weird and why she stands out is because I'm just like, it's like she glides. Lauren James does not make any sense to me. With the ball at her feet. It's like, we say this about Aitana, when Aitana gets out of the, those small spaces, mm. but then Lauren James just like does it. I, I don't even know how to explain it. Like you, like the well, I think it's like Lauren her body James... shape as well, right? Because with Aitana, you're like, wow, like it's amazing. That's she, what I was, was going like to say that. quite dinky. Yeah, she's like zoom zoom, but yeah. then Thorne James does zoom she's zoom, edged. and you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's weird. But I've always, I've always like the things she does with the ball at her feet just don't make sense either. And it's just like I knew if I try half the shit that Lauren James does on the pitch, I'll be on my ass because I'll just be tripping over my own ankles. Like I don't know, like it's it. She doesn't make any sense to me. But I am, I am excited to see her play finally now that she's fully fit and she's actually enjoying her football, which is. Again, like we say that about a lot of players, but when players enjoy the football, it's just scary, especially with a player like Lauren James. Um, obviously at Man United, towards the end, it got a bit scrappy because of injury and everything else. But I think now she's actually getting into form and you're seeing that relationship with Sam also. Um, that picture of their celebration was really cute. The basketball one? Yeah, it was cute. Yeah. But it, I, am, I am really, really excited to see Lauren James kind of thrive at a big club in big moments with a lot of big players as well. Yeah, and I think what's so amazing is, like, I don't want to say I doubted Laura James, but I just felt like because of the first... Hey, don't pull that face at me. <laughs> <laughs> I doubted. I'm, just, I'm, flipping, I'm flipping up. Arsenal are going to win the WSL. Oh, my God. You're gonna, and Laura so James. I had points. doubts. It's okay, guys. I'm editing this, so she's not going anywhere near the audio files. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I didn't have doubts, but obviously, you know, when she had the year to get fit, which I understood... But I also did not expect that she would then come in at this level. I was happy to be like, she's had a year out, she's got fit, and now we're going to have a season. Because she's so young, right? Like, I'm like, there's no rush. Like, if she has a season where... But it's just amazing that she's come into this team, and I'm like, she she feels like the star now. Like, And and she's playing alongside Philip Harder or Frank Kirby, and... Yeah, I'm just so excited to see what her ceiling is because somehow this was these were only the her second and third goals for Chelsea, and she's obviously been here for yeah. like a year. But do you think she's going to perform in Champions League? Well, this is in this is I was thinking about this today actually that she's not started either of the Champions League game. In fact, I don't think she's played a Champions League minute yet. She didn't come on against PSG or Vlatsnia. She came. She came on last season. Right. I'm pretty sure that, that's when Reese James was in that really serious applauding mood. Oh, okay. But yeah, she hasn't played in either of the two games this season, which is funny because she started a lot of WSL games. So I think yeah. it's interesting to see that maybe Emma Hayes is still like, okay, it might seem like she's just come straight into the team, but actually there is a bit of differentiation there. But I do think against, she offers that real cheat code ability, yeah. which is, you back her if she gets the ball to to travel with it, basically. Basically, but do you against a top office? We'll get into Chelsea's next match now. But say Champions League, you're playing against a Wolfsburg, Bayern Munich, Barca. Are you starting Lauren James, or are you going to have her as a cheat code as like a super sub kind of thing at the end of the match when everyone's tired, and you just put Lauren James to run right? I'm would be more tempted to start her just because I think what's also really underrated. Well, there's a couple of things. One, her defensive numbers are crazy. Like, she works so hard off the ball. And two, that thing of that she's the cheat code, she'll travel with the ball, also applies to ball retention. Like, I think she's a great... And I mean, I guess you can spin this both ways, e.g. She's a great op- option to slow the ball like down, slow the game down, so you bring her on to do that. Maybe when the game's getting frantic. But I also think it's this thing where Chelsea often really lack control. So I think to be able to start games with that control and then say, as it goes on, if you want to put on a Canarid to just run at defences or even like a Kirby, if she's not starting, those players feel like more like a better fit, but to have, and I think, I don't know, it's been interesting. I think Lauren James plays with more confidence when she starts. That's like the one thing yeah. I've noticed that like, I don't think she has the same impact when she comes off. No, the bench. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think, it's, her, like, it's not a bad attitude, but it's just her attitude. I think when you start her, you give her that confidence. And when you, when she has that confidence, she just plays. And I think she sometimes does. she needs time to grow into the game. Like, I even think with this Villa game, it wasn't until 15 minutes in 
that Chelsea started finding her and she started getting mm-hmm. touches on the ball. Uh, and that was noticeable, that Chelsea looked so much more dangerous. And again, that might just come with time, but she doesn't right now feel like that instant impact player. Yeah. Would you start against Man United? Man United obviously being the next Chelsea match this Sunday. Would you start against Man United? I just feel like you got her for the drama, don't you? <laughs> for the drama. Well, I mean, I think she probably will start, but it's... It's tough because I, I think it's basically a toss-up between her and Johanna Rittin-Canerid right now because Fran Kirby was back out of the squad again. don't know where she's gone. So I find it hard to imagine she's going to start against United. So I yeah. think it will be this team, probably, maybe, actually maybe exactly this team. Um, so, you know, a midfield of Ingle, Cuthbert and Harder, Wright and Kerr. And I think, yeah, probably James. I think, to be honest, like after this performance, why... I don't know how you can drop her. Like, I think Hannah's had a really good start to the season, but she's not putting up finishing numbers like this because... Yeah. It, and it's it like, it's also back line for Manchester United that don't know her as well as you would think. I mean, Maya Letizia and... Millie, I, I mean, Lauren James versus Millie Turner, you're, you're going to take Lauren James most of the time if we're being... Yeah, and honest. Hannah Blundell as well. Exactly. So, so I... I would be very intrigued to see Lauren James against Manchester United, just to kind of see not the difference of how she was with Man United versus Chelsea, but I think I think also that if she does well, she might enjoy it quite a bit, um, considering her ending to the Manchester United era of hers. But let's move on to Barça-Levante. Barça 2, Levante 1. Not the nicest of score lines. This was my favorite game of the weekend. Can I just say I God. enjoyed this game so much. Like, obviously, I would have loved Barcelona to have dropped points, but like, just even purely as a neutral, this game was just fun. Like Levante, just fun. Like Levante versus Barça is always a good match. They're good enough to stay in these games, and to, like, we'll talk about it a bit more. But like, to put pressure on Barcelona. But it's still it. They're not so they're not doing it in a way where they just purely sit back. Like it, I just thought it was such an accomplished performance from Levante and Barcelona. Obviously missed a lot of chances, but to say the least, it was just so much fun. Le- Levante Barça, yeah. Levante Barça is always a. It's a very entertaining match for the most part, and you the th- the thing with Levante is that they're still impressive, even though they lost a lot of their players. They lost some of their star players last season and they're still performing at the level that you expected them to last season. But obviously, Alvaro Redondo got uh, the best of Lucy Browns on that second post, which is quite interesting. I've heard Barcelona fans say it was the worst they'd seen Lucy Browns in a Barcelona shirt. So. It was, I mean, to be fair, the overall performance wasn't the greatest. Uh, Ingrid, I mean, when Ingrid Engen scores a header, that's when you know it's just a weird game. That was a great set piece routine, can I say? It was, it was a very good set. But when I'm, yeah, when Ingrid Engen is scoring a header. For anyone who didn't see, basically it was like a mappy corner, um, but Patry like peeled off from like the pack and then just did this really nice cushioned header basically just like Ingrid Engen didn't need to really move or do anything yeah. like it just like bounced off it was just ping pong <laughs> yeah but it was like really like it was really cleverly done. I also like that moment between Lucy and Maitana that almost resulted in the goal that was like a header oh that was great that could yeah. have been really nice it's just yeah, the yeah. awkward that was position like Rondo like fun yeah there. basically so basically what happened it was defensive clearance that Lucy Bronze jumped in front of the ball went really really high Aitana headed the ball to Lucy, made a run into the box, and Lucy kind of headed the ball back to her, and Aitana tried to go off the volley. Um, but Levante defender slide-tackled really well and got the ball out, but that could have been such a nice play. But it was just, yeah, it was just very easy. Rondo, here's the ball. Or like Even like post-match, when they start heading the ball to each other, it's just like little things like that, and like clearly they could have done that, and it could have been really cool. Um, but Jay-Z... Missed a lot of um, opportunities, to say the least. Not the greatest performance from her. I mean, she did well to get herself in those positions most of the time. Did really well. But then if you guys want to go watch the highlights, go ahead. Because it is quite entertaining in the sense that how does she have... That's like the epitome of having a bad day. And that was a really bad day for her. And I feel really bad because that's obviously not a great look overall. But I think... 
it's not a great look if you don't know how Jayza plays. If you ha- if you don't know the season that Jayza has had so far, that could give you the wrong opinion of her. But it, it was just a really, really, really bad day. I know what you thought, Jesse. Yeah, it was. I thought this was a really interesting setup from Barcelona because when the lineup came out, it was a front three of Kona Gortrovic, JC, and Mariona. And I assumed JC would play as the nine, which she's kind of done in quite a few of Barca's games this season. But it was like Mariona was like the central figure, but she was actually really kind of dropping back into midfield. So you almost then had this weird like two between AMC and JC. And it was just like, I don't know, it wasn't something I'd ever really seen Barcelona do before. Um, but it, it got Jason into lots of very, very good positions, as you said. I think she, yeah, so she had an XG of 1.3 by the end of the game. And some of the misses were awful. But I think you have to say, like, look, we know this girl scores goals. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, one game off, I think she can afford for the most part. But, yeah, it was just it was just so unfortunate, half the misses that she she managed. Like, it was probably harder to miss. Yeah, definitely. But I think it's just funny that it feels like, because then Oshwala came on, and you're like, oh my God, like, this is the same problem. And it's just hilarious that Barcelona have this these issues with these, like, both Oshwala and Jesse Ferrer are fantastic attacking players. They get into amazing positions, but both of them just seemingly don't have that consistent killer instinct. It's so annoying. And... Yeah, it it is really interesting to see how kind of Barcelona deal with it. And obviously Barcelona have so many threats across the entire pitch, but in a game like this, and I guess this kind of leads on to another question that I'd be intrigued about what you thought, is that, so in midfield, they were playing Aitana, Patri and Engen. Do you think part of the problem here is just that Ingrid Engen doesn't offer as much in possession as like Kira Walsh. So then we're like looking at these Jason misses because Barcelona didn't have tons and tons of opportunities. It's a, it's an interesting, I hate, I hate talking about it because it makes me sound like I don't like Ingrid Engen and I love her. <laughs> but when you look at the standard in that midfield, it's Patri and she's one of the best, if not the best pivot in the entire world of, of just, just like, all-around footballer there's not many like her and then you look at Kira Walsh who's also you know up I'm I'm gonna say it now but Kira Walsh is not better than Patrick Caro that's period that's fine but Kira Walsh is much closer to Patrick than Ingrid Engen is and I think that's where it's very noticeable because you you're trying what Patrick brought brought into that pivot role was a dynamic role of She's able to do the defensive part of that pivot, but she's also able to distribute, keep possession, and add into the attacking play. Whereas Ingrid Engen kind of does like, she's more similar to like a Leah Balti, who kind of does the quiet work of mm. receiving the ball, distributing, but then not adding much to that attacking possession, if that makes sense. Mm. So it's it's a weird one. But then you have Kira Walsh, who obviously, I mean, to be fair, Kira Walsh does she stays back a lot of the time, but she has that little, that extra oomph to like involve herself more in the attacking play than Ingrid Engen does. And I think that's where you notice that a bit more uh, going forward, especially when you have Barcelona having so much possession a lot of the time, you notice that because it's that one pass, it's that one carry that Kira Wash is going to do it, Batali is going to do it, but Ingrid Engen won't necessarily do it. Mm. So it's, I, yeah, I hate to say, I mean, I would say Ingrid Engen is third choice pivot behind Patrick and Kira Walsh, I think, no doubt. But it is, I think she's done really well. Like, her ball recovery, I think, is really well. I don't know if, you, if you've seen the numbers. I haven't. I think her ball recovery is really well. And But then, yeah, outside of that attacking play, she doesn't really contribute as much as you would probably see in Patrick, for example. Yeah, I think it's just like she's not necessarily a player who's, maybe going to force the question as much mm. as like a Patri or a Kira might. And I didn't think that's a problem, but I think it's hard in games like this one where it felt like obviously the longer it went on, the more Barcelona actually were inviting pressure on themselves because, you know, they'd gone 2-0 up, Alba Redondo gets it back to 2-1 and it felt like Barcelona gave up quite early at scoring yeah. that third goal, which was a weird, really weird thing to see. And 
I just think when Engen maybe comes from that more Lena Oberdorf mode, I'm not saying mm. that she's like like Lena Oberdorf, but I think if you're putting like Patri at one end and Lena Oberdorf at another, like I would put Engen the, the pivot spectrum. Yeah, but are I you Patri or are you Lena? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I would put her then like more towards that side. I think that can be hard then when you're wanting to kind of take control of a game. But one thing I just want to say, which I thought was like interesting, but I I want to give Barcelona credit for is that, so Levante got absolutely rinsed for offside calls in this game, right? Like they got called offside so many times and they were were, like never offside. And it was funny because obviously they played Real Madrid last week. And they got so much joy in exactly the same spaces. But I think what Barcelona did really, really well is their defensive line was so organised that I can see why those offside rules calls were being given because it was like everyone was in a row. So even if the player was like actually in line with them, I could see why you thought like no way that this player can't be onside, even though most of the time she bloody was, uh, which is obviously fucking annoying. But I thought, yeah, it was a really interesting, and it, we don't, we don't often talk about like Barcelona's defense that much. Like that's yeah. why I just thought it, like that's why it really stood out to me that I was like, wow, when you watch them compared to Real Madrid, where I felt like against Levante they ended up being at sixes and sevens, like one player was like tracking the run, and then that was allowing the Levante player to be on side, and all that. whereas Barcelona were just like, we're gonna take the risk, we're all gonna stand in this line. Listen, they probably shouldn't have got away with what they did, but like I thought it was impressive. I mean, Barcelona's entire game plan comes at a risk when you're doing high line, defensive line, possession, and the way they play is always risky. But obviously next up for Barca is El Clásico, Real Madrid versus Barcelona, where Jesse and I will be in Madrid on Sunday watching this live. Do you want to have a, a quick prediction as to how this is going to go down? Yeah, I don't know. I think I've I've lost some of my early season hype on Real Madrid. Like, I didn't think they were particularly impressive against Levante. I didn't think they were particularly impressive against PSG. Yeah. But that being said, I think this game shows that Barca can be got at. And as I say, the 20 minutes or so where Barcelona were just, like, basically camped in their own heart. I don't think I've ever seen Barcelona do that. Even, you know, against Lyon in the Champions League. It was, it was, it was a really bad game. It was a really bad game for Barca. I would I would say it was a one-off in terms of, like, it was genuinely just a really bad day. Like, if Geza, if Geza would have put him on yeah, those goals she, away, like, it would have been a different story. Yeah. Precisely. So it's like, I think it was a really bad day, but I am... And also, before we... Okay. Here's, we finally get news before we record Box to Box. Caroline Graham Hansen is out two to three months. Yeah. Who is your starting right winger against Real Madrid? Well, what, when we talked about this before, I said JC, but then obviously that's n- not what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't know. I think you said last week that you didn't think CGH would be a big loss, but I think she'll be a very big loss for this Barcelona team. Because I just think that was the problem. I don't think those players were able to they're not doing the same thing that cgh does basically right and like that's legit she's one of the best but i but i said that thinking that mariona would be on that side okay so you you would start mariona there against robbery because also this will be very interesting because that left hand side of real madrid is their best side and if you've got lucy bronze playing like she did against levante Ooh, I joke that Barcelona for this game got Manchester City Lucy Bronze rather than England Lucy Bronze because they're two very different types of Lucy. Very Bronze. yes, I mean that. To be fair, that's that's a pretty accurate <laughs> description of it. To be honest, but I I don't know what my lineup would be because you have. I'm looking at Real Madrid's lineup now against Levante and. You would basically have, if Svava starts, you're having your right winger going against Sofia Svava and Ivan Andres on that side, which if you have a technical player like Mariona, I think she can get away with a lot there. But don't you think they'll play Olga? The lineup here is that Olga played in the midfield. 
I wonder if they'll go back to playing though. I feel like in their bigger games they play Olga at left back ahead of Slava. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, it'll be interesting to see. Well, I mean I mean I don't know how accurate this Google lineup is, but here it's a four four two with Svava and Olga Carmona on the same side. Which I mean to be to double up with Svava and Olga Carmona, I think that I mean that's not a bad game plan, but it also that's what I'm saying, like if you have AMC there, like that's not gonna be a threat to anybody against an Olga Carmona, for example. But if you have a Mariona who can be that dynamic player who's not just a straight on winger, who can take on one v ones, get into space, get into the midfield, I think that could be a bit more dynamic, which is what we like about CGH, is how dynamic she is with her one v ones, with her dribbles, with her passes. But I mean, we wanted Jayza against Lucy Bronze on the same side. I think that could be interesting, but also I think I do want Mariona there just for the dynamic of of everything and to kind of make it interesting, sort of say. But don't give me a score prediction. Three mm, two Barsha. Three two. Oh, that'd be a great game. Yeah, I could. Well, two three. That. Yeah, I can fuck with that though. I will go. 3-1 Barca. I think it'll be like 1-1 for ages and then Barca will score like two really good goals in the 89th minute. And so it'll look okay. like a really comfortable win, but it won't have been. <laughs> but it won't be. Yeah. So basically keep us on our toes until the end. Yeah. Yeah. We'll I just hope it's us. a good I just hope it's a good game because I do think Real Madrid rattle Barcelona a lot. And I think it will be interesting given that they got but I keep forgetting they're playing their week one fixtures this week anyway, so it's not even the next game. They've got the other Levante. Yeah, there's midweek fixtures this week, which is going to be interesting. Um, I'm very sad because I got my flight to Madrid for Wednesday to go see Atletico Madrid versus Real Sociedad, and they moved it to Tuesday. Oh. And I'm really sad. So I'm stuck without that. So I just have to wait till Sunday for all the football. But more news came before time of recording. Hope Powell has resigned from Brighton with immediate effect. This is obviously following their nil-eight loss to Tottenham. I think Tottenham heard us saying that they can't score goals and they're, they're kind of outing us now. But Jesse, correct decision for Hope Powell to leave? Yeah, I think so. I think it's obviously a sad decision in terms of, you know, she's the third, she was the third longest running manager in the WSL behind Kelly Chambers and Emma Hayes. But it sounds like she maybe felt her time at Brighton had run her course. Apparently she was interested in the Everton job over the summer. And it just kind of felt like maybe the direction Brighton wanted to go and was also like quite different from the direction Hope Powell was in. And then you get this result and it's a bit like if Hope Powell's your manager and it's not just this result because Brighton have blowouts like this every season. But I think across this, Hope has your manager and you clearly can't defend and they clearly can't defend. You have a problem. And I think from both sides, it's just like Brighton obviously had a massive clear out of players this summer. I think that pissed Hope off kind of understandably. It's hard to like replace them. And for what she said in her statement about being like wanting to leave while there's a lot of football still to be played is also like a very mature I say mature like she's a kid, but you like you know what I mean. Like I think that's a very aware thing, and I think that also shows you that but like, she leaves it open to improvement without her, right? And that I think that also tells you that she was kind of ready to go as well, because that's not the statement of someone who's like, I really wanted to hold on to this job. I think it's someone being like, maybe they thought over the summer it'd run its course, they wanted to give it another go, and then she's like, no. So I think it is the correct decision. I'm very intrigued to see who they get in because I think they're a very interesting club. I don't think they've spent the way they could. Mm-hmm. But obviously we've seen with on the men's side, they've done a good trade in recruitment and discovery of players. And I think they are still good at that on the women's side. You know, I wrote a piece this week about Katie Robinson, who, you know, kind of they picked up from Bristol City, where she was like the new Lauren Hemp, but she looks, she's looked really good for them recently. And, you know, you look at how they developed Maya Letizia, and they're clearly very good at making younger players especially better. And I think if they could maybe get a, like, Gemma Davies, for example, someone who's, like, got experience of working with younger players, they could make that into a very exciting niche. Yeah. themselves in this league and I, I think obviously Polly Bancroft as well who was their 
general manager has gone to Manchester United to be director of women's football. So there's a lot of upheaval at that club. I just hope they can get it sorted out, stay up, because like I think they're a really cool club and I'd like to see them stay in the WSL. It is going to be very interesting. It is a bit sad, the end of an era, sort of say, but I do agree that, I mean, Hope Powell's, I just looked it up, Hope Powell's been, I didn't I didn't want to sound like a, a smart ass saying Hope Powell's been there since 2017, as if I knew that off the top of my head. Uh, she's been there since 2017 and also the Brighton have consistently stayed where they are, but obviously they're second to last position right now. It is the start of the season. I mean, Man United are top of the table, so let's not take anything into consideration just yet. But let's look at Tottenham. A turning point for our favourite, Rianne Skinner and no. Spurs, perhaps? I refuse. Yeah. I refuse to accept. But, but the thing is that this, this doesn't really feed into the results this season so far. So it was a 4-0 loss to Arsenal, 3-0 loss to Man City, a 1-0 win to Liverpool, a 2-1 to Leicester, like, and then an 8-0 to, to Brighton. Like, Jesse, was this just a one-off game where yes. it was... <laughs> no doubt about that, clearly. No, I mean, I think, look, it is probably a very big confidence boost for them. So Rianne Skinner is still not doing a good enough job, is what you're saying. <laughs> I'm sorry, this Brighton defence was bleak. Is, I mean, it is... I've said it once, and I'll say it again. Unfortunately, Poppy Pattinson is just not a serious defender. Like, I... Yeah. They played Katie Green at right back. Hans, you had Georgia Fox on the bench. Like, I know she's not had an amazing start, but, like... And then Victoria Williams is just like running around. And I felt so sorry for her because I'm like, she's like, she's trying to clean up everyone's mess. And Megan Walsh had like the world's worst game. And I'm just like, we know that Spurs have good finishers. Ashley Neville has shown that she's a very, very good finisher. Drew Spence has always been good at that stuff. Yeah. Their like star striker, their star like summer signing, Nicola Karzuska. She scored, but only because Megan Walsh basically passed the ball to her. So, yes, Spurs scored eight goals. They can score goals, but this was a bit like, to me, it felt like being like, could Spurs score eight goals against the championship side? Yeah, probably. It doesn't make me think that they're going to... Compared to like the level of organization and discipline that I feel like I've seen from West Ham or Villa this season, I still I I'm not taking this game as evidence that Spurs have that. No, I think I think that's fair. I think Spurs need to convince us just a bit more <laughs> outside. Come on, Rahan. I mean, Rahan, if you're listening to this, give us a bit more to speak about, please. Uh, but Jesse, let's see if you have another quick fire answer for this one. Where does Ash Neville rate amongst other left backs? I find this really interesting. People have been in my ear about this and it feels like it's turning... But, you know, everyone's always like, oh, maybe Ash Neville should get a call-up for England. Okay, don't take it that far. England aren't blessed with fullbacks, right? I think that's no. why it's kind of an interesting question. But I think... So, basically, would you have Rachel Daly or Ash Neville as your left-back? Rachel Daly. There's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think. But I don't know, maybe I've just been Serena-pilled and now all I can think of is what Serena thinks. I don't know, I can see why people think it would be cool to have her given a chance, but I just think people should know that her passing success average is 60%. <laughs> the guilt in your face when you said that. I don't feel guilty, <laughs> I just want people to know the facts. She scores an amazing long-range banger and I think she's perfect for a team like Spurs and I love that she can be the star for Spurs. Because yeah. I think she, she has an amazing story. She seems like a really, really cool person, like a really sweet, kind person from everyone I've ever heard That's about. That's a great her. haircut. Amazing haircut. Absolutely iconic WSL player. Sometimes it's okay that that's all it is and it's nothing more. Yeah. And I think that's all it is and it's nothing more. I, I do agree with that. I, I don't really see how... I mean, how old is she? She's what, late, late 20s? 20s? So, like, if she hasn't really made it in the England squad already, what is the point of Serena? She's 29. So what is the point of bringing a 29-year-old fullback into a squad that's clearly still growing? I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that because I'm like, I like to think that players can 
get better and improve. Oh, definitely. I just think for me, the concern would be, does Asher Neville have the ability when it comes to like your build-up play? That's why I, I quote the past completion stuff. Because I'm like, the things you're expected to do for an England team or even a top three team. Especially like, when Lucy Brands is the other fullback. Right. But I think this is something I find interesting as well about like the England stuff, in inverted commas, is because you don't, people will say, oh, Ash Neville should get an England call up. Grand, as Alex Ibersetta would say. <laughs> but no one's saying Manchester City or Chelsea should sign Ashley Neville. Well, I, at least I haven't seen them say that. Look at you looking, diving in deep into the details. No, but... But like, it is true, though. But, like, it is, like... If she's worthy of an England call-up, she should be paying for a better team than Spurs, no? Yeah. And it's it's. I think it's because inside people's heads, they recognise that the way Spurs play isn't the way those top teams a play. A top club, yeah. But that's the way England play, so... And that's why that is, I think... That is a very good analysis. Yeah. That's why players like Esme Morgan or Neve Charles, even even though she's not getting call ups, I think will always end up being preferred because it's you're about... playing for a Chelsea. Yeah, and it's not just yeah. it's a big name; it's about the way those clubs play. No, it's a standard of of it goes so much more than just match. It goes to training, it goes to fitness levels, it goes to all the little details that you'll get at a Chelsea rather than a Spurs. And I'm not saying Spurs is going to like you know Spurs have good facilities for the most part you know they have a good standard but you're you're not playing against Sam Kerr every day in training for example mm. it's just it's little details but I do agree that I think Ash Neville has been doing really well but should she take another step we might not see the same and um, so just kind of let her leave her be in the glory that she is now at Spurs <laughs> uh, but Manchester United fifth straight W cell match and they are yet to concede a true clean sheet, Jesse, record. <laughs> but it's not a record. They're just <laughs> the only team not to have conceded now. That's good. I'll give them that. Is that, is that better? Okay, fair. Uh, they beat Everton 3-0. Is this the Manchester United team that will finish top three this season? I feel like we've been saying this for like five years now. Yeah, that's true. We've been burnt before. Um, I think the Chelsea game will tell us a lot. Yeah. I feel a bit nervous about it. I mean, Manchester and Chelsea Chelsea has always been a decent match. Yeah, Chelsea have, like, absolutely ripped through them at points in the past. And United have caused Chelsea problems, too, in the past. And Stoney's United have. I don't know if Skinner... That that is, yeah, that's that's the other thing. Because I remember, obviously, was it last season where Chelsea just absolutely destroyed them in Manchester... But then the match at King's Meadow was a very nerve-wracking one for Chelsea. No, that was the last game of the season. Well, it was nerve-wracking, but like... It was, and then it got to the point, and yeah. Yeah, but I think United look legit. They're beating the teams who are in front of them. Yeah. We'll see how they look against Chelsea. They're getting the job done against everything. They're getting. They're doing everything that we expected from them the last two seasons. Yeah. But now they need to kind of... I am. I, I do agree that I am. And they add those points see. against the top three because if yeah. they can do that, then top three. Let's go. Champions League next season. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, another Champions League team. Well, not this season, but you know they did have a for a bit. <laughs> Buddy Shaw continued to show up in this Manchester City team. Goal and assist for her, Alex. We know City have problems. We've talked about all of this, but how big of a sticking plaster? Can Bonnie Shaw be for this squad? I think big. I think as long as Bonnie Shaw scoring and Man City are, are getting decent results, we're going to go back to ignoring how shit Gary Taylor is. It's a cheat code. She she looks so good. It's. I mean. I mean. Every everybody but Gary Taylor knew that. Like if Ellen White didn't retire this season, we would have been seeing Ellen White start every single match again, and Bonnie Shaw would have been on the bench. Like it was just. It's one of those things that just fell into Gareth Taylor's lap and is making him look really, really good. And every all the other problems are kind of going away slowly. But, I mean, that's what happens when you have a front three of Lauren Head, Bunny Sean, and Chloe Kelly. Like, they take your problems away. And because Man City are getting results, getting goals, you're kind of ignoring everything else. But that's 
that's always been quite obvious, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, but I just, I guess, I, all I'll say is City are annoying. They should be yes. a better team than they are, but also they persuade these players to come and they persuade them to stay. I don't understand. That's the thing. <laughs> that's the thing with City is that like, they're always going to have good enough players because they keep getting good players that are able to kind of continue, steadily continue a certain standard. Like, not good enough to win the WSL, not good enough to win Champions League, clearly. But they're able to continue that standard that doesn't cause any attention. Like, should Manchester United be in the top three over Manchester City? I think that's when the club might actually, like, start asking questions but until then if Man City are in the top three every single season even though they get knocked out of the Champions League quite early but that's up to other they clubs then they that that's up that's on the United's right because I'm like yeah. well if City are that bad then it's gonna be the Manchester Derby and the WSL is gonna be very interesting can't wait that is gonna be a really good one but Going to France, where Bunny Shaw came from, when she outscored Marie Antoinette Gatoto, if Gary Taylor doesn't remember mm-hmm. that. Uh, Lyon required a 90-second minute winner from Wendy Renard to beat Fleury 1-0, despite Kozi being sent off only after 25 minutes. Lyon, not really going through a great spell of goal scoring right now, Jesse. Yeah, can I just say, like, Rosamund Kouassi, you're my hero. You're such a talented <laughs> player. But she's been sent off twice in five games in France. And, like, she's a winger. Like, she doesn't need to be being sent she's off. She's worse than me. Literally, she got two yellow cards within 20 minutes of this game. Um, having really only, I think, just come back from a ban. I think maybe she played one game post-ban. Honestly, like, I absolutely adore her. And I just want her to sort out the discipline because I want her to be a star. But, yeah, I mean, Fleury are a decent side, right? But yeah. for them to play, you know, almost the entire game, and Leon still not to be able to score. It wasn't even like they created, like, loads and loads of good chances. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, my God, right now, this is... They started Senior Brune this time, but when you see those... I don't know if I believe the reports about the Alessia Russo stuff, but I'm like, well, even if those reports aren't true, maybe Leon should decide to go for Alessia Russo in January. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's not a bad idea when you look at the kind of lineup that Leon are having, and obviously, I so we briefed in. I had to come up with some brainstorms for for Dazone and and the Champions League, and we kind of played on the fact that there could potentially be no French team in the knockout rounds. Yeah. The Champions League. And that would actually make me laugh a lot. But, I mean, when you look at Lyon's record right now in the Champions League, it's not good. You ha- you drew 1-1 with Juventus last against Arsenal, obviously. PSG as well. PSG have one point from two games and zero goals scored. At least Lyon kind of got that one. But <laughs> that's about it. But they're not they're just not looking good at all and it's quite impressive and you can't really put your finger on it. I mean, everyone's gonna go ahead and blame the injuries for Leon, but you're starting at midfield three of Daniela Van der Dank, Amadine Andre, and Lindsay Haran. Like it's that shouldn't be an excuse. You ha- and you have Devin Cascarino, Melvin Malad. Grand Senior Brune isn't really a striker, um, like a Eugenila Somera at a Hegerberg, but like you still have Cascarino Mavi Malan on the wings. You have a starting midfield. Like that midfield is a starting midfield in most other clubs. Like, what is the excuse? That well, this is Sonia Bonpastel's biggest test, right? It's like giving yeah. a difficult second album. She comes in, she sorts out for half season, she gets the full run of it. Champions League, league title, amazing. And now you have to go again and you have to deal with it. And I think that's oh my god, it just really started raining heavily. <laughs> That, that's the test for, for a new coach but just quickly over to Germany I've got to uh, talk about Hoffenheim these guys they cannot <laughs> chill oh my god 3-1 down to Eintracht Frankfurt at half time coming back Katarina Naschenweg with two goals to draw 3-3 this Champions League race in Germany forget United City whatever in England this is 
crazy. So Frankfurt are still in second, right? Bayern are currently in third. Yeah. But then you've got Hoffenheim floating around. You've got Freiburg looking good. Leverkusen and Köln not far behind. Like, oh, man, I love the Fram Bundesliga. <laughs> man. <laughs> I just it is really good. I love the Fram no, Bundesliga. But I, this is going to be, I think I've said this in like four consecutive episodes that we've done now. I'm really sad that Hoffenheim or Frankfurt are not in the Champions League group stages. I am very upset about that. <laughs> <laughs> very upset. But it, it's just like, Setting up, uh, yeah. we're going to set up our own Super League just to make sure there's more guaranteed <laughs> German spots in the Champions yes, League because we like the German team so much. I just, I don't understand how the Bundesliga is so entertaining and how the chaos of it. Wolfsburg only beat Werder Bremen 3 2. We're not even going to talk about that, but. Yeah. <laughs> there's Great not league. time for all Bundesliga. It if is... you're not watching Fram Bundesliga, go watch Fram Bundesliga, seriously. Get your shit together, basically. Finally, let's just wrap up because I've got to give some credit to Rachel Rowe for hauling or rowing, should I say, reading over the line. Oh, <laughs> I've been punning it's on Monday, Rowe Jesse. all day. <laughs> I've been punning on Rowe all day. 1 0 down, they were to Leicester, came back to win 2 1. She scored an Olympico from a corner and then an absolute pile driver of a strike from like not even on the edge of the box like back I never know how many yards it is but back from the box um Leicester only WSL team with no points are they going down I think you have to say that I think I mean I'm did I'm, did we say that at our preview episode in WSL I'm pretty sure we said Leicester were going down I I think I said Leicester, but had a sneaky fear for Brighton. I think for Brighton, it will depend big time on the impact yeah. of who they appoint yeah. now. But also, Leicester just never seems good enough for the WSL, realistically. For, if we're I think they're well organised, but I think sometimes people don't understand that at the bottom of the WSL, you have to have chaos. This Reading team, they just excel from having... I actually looked up today, like the record for like which team scored the most goals from outside the area it like all-time WSL and I think Reading are like fourth or something but I just feel like they've always got those players you know like Farrell Williams is the all-time record for goals outside the WSL but like game changers who are just you know case in point here Rachel Rowe just like stepping up and like moments of quality and I think Leicester are a really controlled team and I think in some ways that's credit to Lydia, Lydia Bedford but sometimes you just have to flamethrower it you know yeah it's not good enough for what they need to do in the WSL, which is quite sad because we all had hopes for Leicester when they came up. But they just haven't been able to keep up with the standard that they need, I think. Yeah, I, I think they just needed better recruitment. And listen, we know on the men's side that they didn't sign any play. They signed one player this summer after like, their starting goalkeeper and starting central defender go. So I, I think that club's in a good way, unfortunately. And... It's tough out there. And that's that. Yeah. That I, I feel like that's the most we've ever covered on our weekly episodes. I know. Well, I, I put some quick, hit, quick hits in. They're fun, aren't they? Quick hits. I mean, your quick fire answers to Tottenham, but I guess... <laughs> that wasn't even in the quick fire <laughs> section. That was just me being like, no. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, so that concludes this week's episode. We will be back uh, next week with our holiday episode. Of course, a Sunday full of football. What is it? Chelsea Arsenal men first. Yeah, I don't know if we'll be doing that on box to box, but I guess we can if people want okay, to no, Chelsea Arsenal. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just giving everyone a, a kind of idea of our schedule on Sunday. Gay club on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> if you were. Okay, we're including that in here then. We're getting all on. We're going all out. So night out on Saturday, then Sunday football all day long, basically. I think Chelsea Man United, if I remember correctly, is about an hour forty-five after the yeah. classical kickoff. Six forty-five so UK. We time. might have that in the stadium cheekily on. I'll on be on my phone. phone. I'm not missing a minute at Chelsea. Well, if we're in Spain, we can watch it on his own YouTube. Hey, <laughs> hey. there we go. Casual, casual <laughs> sneak in there, but it is true. So that could actually work in our favour, pretty much. Um, yeah, so we'll be back next week with a football holiday episode reviewing our weekend. 
how our night out goes, I guess. Um, and <laughs> we'll have we'll obviously be talking in the classical before, during, and after the match, as we did for our France episode. So that should be quite interesting. You can't. I don't. I don't think you can drink in the stadium this time. So I think Jesse uh, might be a bit more. Guys, bit more, <laughs> a bit more conscious of everything, <laughs> basically. Uh, but yeah, but let us know what you guys think of the episode so far this season. Like, subscribe. I, I feel like I'm a YouTuber now saying that. Uh, <laughs> you do everything you guys need to do. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye.